What was your reaction after the election? What was your sort of morning after like? Well, for me, I went to bed around midnight. I had been following the news all night, the results. And I thought, I'm like, okay, I've got to get some sleep. I went to bed around midnight. Uh, but I kind of knew I wanted to wake up, because I knew they would probably announce, um, announce the results in a couple hours. And, and somehow my body woke up about 3.30 a.m. And, and I immediately went and grabbed my phone. And I looked, and I was stunned. I think like many people, I was absolutely shocked that Trump won. Um, and I spent the next few hours in bed. I couldn't fall back asleep. Um, now you see, I'm a registered Republican. I have been since I could vote. I don't always vote on party lines. Um, this was the first year I actually considered changing my, my um, allegiance, my actual registration. I did, I left it as is. Um, and, and I voted for Hillary. Hopefully, for those that might in here be Trump supporters, hopefully that doesn't turn you off from me completely. Um, but, but I did, and I was shocked. I was absolutely floored that Trump won. I, I'm not even sure his own supporters probably would have won, but he would win. And as I sat in bed, I, I couldn't fall back asleep. And, and I had two trains of thought that came to mind first was in utter disbelief. And, and trying to imagine what the next four years of America will be like. And then the other one was to think about um, today. You see, Kubi, who you met earlier today, he was actually scheduled to preach today. I, I put him on the calendar a couple months ago. But when I was sitting in bed, I realized, no. First, I can't possibly lay this one on him. <laughs> no intern should have to preach after, the, after a, an election like this. And then the second one is I wanted to be here. I wanted to be the one talking to you this morning. Um, and then, then the next thought I had is that I was still kind of recovering from all of this. And I, I was thinking about what is what is a biblical response to all of this? What, what, is, what are some of God's thoughts going on right now? And, and I, I thought of a couple, a couple ideas. One, that God is bigger than politics. Has always been, will always be. And then the other is that we need love now more than ever. And as I sat with those two thoughts, I, I eventually was able to fall back asleep and then woke up in the morning and, and then started reading Facebook. Almost non-stop. Because I wanted to see what people were feeling. I wanted to read the thoughts people were thinking. Um, and over the morning and the day, I saw from, from the Christian voice, I saw those two ideas. You probably did as well if you're on Facebook. The, the idea of God's favorite in politics and then stuff about loving other people. But I also saw a lot of pain, a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of emotion. And, and over the course of the week, I don't know about you, but my emotions have been really raw. Like I've been crying. Have you cried at weird, unexpected times? Like I've cried at watching a commercial. I was getting like teary-eyed even just singing today. And I think it's 
not because this commercial for whatever it was, but all that profound. But I think for me, and I think for a lot of us, I think my emotions are just more on the surface right now. And so things get me more, and they might be getting you more these days as well. So how did you feel that morning? How did you feel that morning? Some of the emotions that I heard in talking and that I read on Facebook or other social media, here, here are some of the things. First, just downright shock. Just downright shocked that he actually won. That Trump won and he's gonna be the President of the United States. Uh, another one is fear. Uh, especially from people of color, from immigrants, as children of immigrants, the, many of you, the majority of you are. There's a lot of fear out there. One is this, this mix of fear and confusion. I saw multiple people saying, how do, what do I save my kids? How do I possibly explain this to my son, my daughter? So there's this confusion. Some, some are actually kind of glad. Because there's one thing, one thing we do know, it's, it's pretty sure that there will be conservative Supreme Court nominees over the next four years. And, and if that was a high value of yours, even if you hate Trump, there's a part of you that might be glad. Because you know the Supreme Court very likely will be filled with conservatives. I mean, that was a high value of yours. And then some of you might be happy because you voted for Trump and you believe that he was the right choice of the choices we had. He was the better of the two choices. And you might believe that and you might be happy that he won. So there's a whole slew of emotions going on. And what I want to say first is all of those emotions are okay here at River Life. Whatever you're feeling, Wherever you're falling on this, that's okay. This is going to be a place for all of those emotions. Maybe all at once. <laughs> These emotions are not mutually exclusive. But in general, I think there is this feeling of just being emotionally wrong. So how did you feel that morning? What did you do with that feeling? And then over the coming days, and if you're on social media, then you know it has just exploded since Wednesday morning. All over it. And there, you see all the arguments back and forth between left-leaning and right-leaning folks. Uh, internet comment sections, if you, if you thought they were bad before, they're even worse now. So there's arguments. We see it all over the place in the post of the day one of Trump America. We see these posts. We see these posts of hate crimes and violence and graffiti. We see the pictures. We, we read the stories. And if you've watched the news at all, you've seen the protests. Some peaceful, some not so, not so peaceful. But we've seen the the people protesting, saying, with not my president, or for the even more vocal, the, the F Trump crowd. These are the people angry and want to make sure their voice is heard. So social media has a lot to say about how we 
feel about this election. And so here are some of the, the, the instructions I've seen, some of the things that social media is saying about how we should feel or what we should do. So here are some of the things that I've seen at least on social media, okay? Be afraid. That you should be afraid of the next four years. Be angry. You should be angry. You should fight, not just more than be angry, but you should fight, you should protest, you should stand up against Trump or the Republicans or whoever is seen as the enemy. You should share stories, you should get the word out of stories of racism and hate crimes and violence. A little side note, just be wise about what you share. If you've been noticing that there have actually been some stories that have gotten very widely circulated and unfortunately proven to be false. Uh, it's very unfortunate. There's enough violence and hate crimes going on right now that we don't need to perpetrate it. We don't need to keep passing on the lies. There's enough truth. So be a little wise. Uh, do some research about what's, what's true out there and what's not. Uh, but maybe that's what you're hearing from social media. Share the word. Share the wrong that is happening right now. Now from the Christian side of things, there are a couple other things that, that you're hearing about how you should feel. One is the trust God theme. You should trust God. He's still on the throne. Or maybe you're hearing from some the Christian perspective of pray for Trump. You should pray for Trump. Or maybe, maybe you're hearing we should fight for the marginalized victims. The people who feel very afraid under a Trump presidency. Whether, whether it's Muslims, whether it's immigrants, LGBTQ community, people of color, women. That as Christians we should fight, we should stand alongside them. Those are all kinds of messages that are out on social media right now. But there's one message from the Christian perspective that I have not seen yet. I think there's one message that has been conspicuously absent from the Christian message on social media. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. We've, we've been in this, the middle of the series called True Spirituality. This is actually the last week of it. And what's amazing is when I planned this series out a couple months ago, so two months ago, I worked out all these series, this series and all six of the talks. The theme for today was overcoming the evil aimed at you. I can depict that better myself. I'm just taking this as God's little gracious gift to River Life. That what I had scheduled months ago is exactly what we need to hear today. Because some of you feel like you have evil aimed at you. And I'm not about to say that you don't. But some of you feel that very poignantly. That there is evil aimed at you. Now I know this series, of, we've been going through Romans 12. And, and there was a passage that I picked out of Romans 12. It was the last section. But as I was sitting in bed not able to sleep, I really wanted to preach to Jesus. I really wanted to preach Jesus today. You know, I love Paul, man. Romans is an amazing book. But for reasons I can only partly understand, 
really want to preach. I really want to say Jesus' words today. And so, if you'll permit me, I'm going to break from Romans 12 um, and teach a little bit out of the book of Matthew. But see, here's kind of the cool thing, is when you read the section that we were going to study today, it was actually Paul riffing off what Jesus taught. So in a sense, we're going back to Paul's source, which was Jesus in the book of Matthew. And so, so I, I want to teach you a, a couple paragraphs out of Jesus' longest recorded sermon. It even has its own name. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this, Jesus defines and redefines and kind of blows people's minds about what it would look like to be a Jesus follower. What it would look like to be a God follower. And, and there's a whole theme for three chapters he talks about this. And we're going to pick a couple sections. And in this section, there's, we're going to read two paragraphs in a larger section of about five paragraphs. And all these, these five paragraphs all have the same theme. They're all the same theme. It's Jesus repeating a phrase. You've heard it said, but I say. That's, that's the phrase he uses. And that's why, why I opened this series or this sermon talking so much about social media. Because you've heard it said. You've heard it said. If, if, unless you're living under a rock, which maybe that might be a better alternative for a few days. Um, but, but you've heard it said. And there are some things that you have heard said that Jesus needs to turn upside down. And that he wants to counter and say, but I say. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to hit two of those today. I'm not going to do all of them. But we're going to hit two of them because they fit under this idea of overcoming evil aimed at you. How do you do that? So we're going to be reading out of Matthew 5. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, electronic or print, either way, you can also follow up on screen. We're going to hit a few sections at a time, and then I'll kind of talk. So let's start. It's Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 38. You can flip and click to that. It's verse 38. So let's begin. You have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Okay, we're going to kind of pause here. So first, eye for an eye. Now this was, this was a very common law in the ancient Near East. Eye for an eye. Um, it was from the Old Testament. It's part of the Mosaic Law. If you remember back to your high school world history, you might remember the phrase, the Hammurabi Code. This was part of the Hammurabi Code. It was also called, generally called the Law of Retaliation. The Law of Retaliation. Now, because unlike every movie you've ever heard this quoted in, this is not meant to encourage retaliation. It's actually meant to limit it. It's meant to restrict punishment. So this was the law of the land. This was actually considered moral and just. We, we, we would call this justice if we lived 3,000 years ago. So that's, that in and of itself should sort of blow your mind. That Jesus is saying, what you have heard is just. I want to change that. 
I want to change what is legal, moral, and just. And I tell you, don't resist an evil person. Now, what is the, what is the word resist? Like, when I think, like, I can resist chocolate cake. I can, I can resist. Your kid can resist going to bed. So, I, I think that word doesn't, it doesn't quite capture what the Greek phrase is. The, the Greek word carries much more of a meaning of oppose. Oppose or be hostile toward. So when you see resist there, think about it. Do not oppose an evil person. Do not be hostile toward an evil person. Now, that's certainly not a message you're hearing much these days. But that's what Jesus said. So let me ask you, who do you oppose? Who do you oppose? Trump? The alt-right? The ultra-conservative Republicans? Chances are there's somebody out there you oppose. Jesus says, don't resist them. Don't oppose them. But what does that mean? I mean, that sounds ridiculous. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Can we all just like, collectively say that sounds ridiculous? You don't have to say that, but you can if you want. Go for it. Okay? But because your thought right now might be, no way. No way. I've heard the things that Trump says. I've seen the photos of the thing Trump supporters are doing, or supposed supporters. I've seen, I mean, right here in our backyard at Maple Grove High School, I've seen the racism and the hatred. There's no way I'm not going to oppose this. Now, here's, here's the thing, though. We might look at this and say, no, no, you don't understand what's going on right now, okay? We have never had a person like Donald Trump in the White House before. You don't understand, but come on, Jesus, you don't get what's going on right now. Well, well, let me tell you this. As bad as it is right now, as bad as it could potentially be within four years of a Trump presidency, does not even come close to how bad it was for the Jews in Jesus' time. You see, the Jews were not free people. They were occupied by a foreign power, and that was Rome. Rome was the most powerful uh, force in, in the area, and they owned Jerusalem. The Jews were just living there. They had to pay outrageous taxes. They had virtually no rights, virtually no power, and virtually no protection. Like Donald Trump could say, that he could walk out and shoot somebody on 4th Avenue and not lose a vote. But we all know he would, he'd get arrested. <laughs> that is actually true for a Jew. A Roman citizen could go kill a Jew and maybe get a little slap on the wrist. So are you getting the picture? As bad as it is right now, it isn't even remotely as bad as the world Jesus said this into. Jesus said this into a world worse than ours. Worse than America ever has been. To my knowledge, America has never been occupied by a foreign power. Jerusalem was. 
So think about that. Jesus is saying this into something worse than we're facing right now. And we're going to be like, no, 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 no. That's, that's too hard for right now. That's not appropriate. We need to fight the evil. Jesus is saying, no. He makes a pretty strong case for Christian nonviolence and even non-retaliation. So, next, after this, Jesus gives four examples. Oh, excuse me, before that, he actually, that he, uh, oh yeah, so he gives four examples of what this could look like. And again, this is back then, okay? So, four examples, here we go. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them and give them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, Jesus is using some hyperbole here. This is, this is, this is a literary form. Jesus often used hyperbole, which is exaggeration. We, we don't have any ancient historical records of Christians actually doing these things. Doesn't mean they didn't, we just don't have them written down. So Jesus is clearly using some exaggeration. And these were very culturally contextualized situations. A Roman, for instance, a Roman soldier could, could walk up to any Jew and by law force them to carry their military pack one mile. 1.1 miles, they're breaking the law. But by law, they can have them carry a 15 military pack, what, 40, 50 pound pack? Any Jew at any point could force them to carry their pack one mile. Jesus says, carry it two miles. Similarly, the, that, that first one we read, turn the other cheek. If someone slaps your right cheek, turn to the left. Now, if you envision getting slapped on your right cheek, majority of people are right-handed, that means someone is slapping you with the back of their hand. Okay, no one does that. Okay? <laughs> okay. That's not a good slap. Okay? So they're most likely slapping with the back of their hand. And here's the, here's the interesting thing about this, this slap. That was actually a hierarchical slap. You know that? Because when you slap somebody equal to you, Again, in their times. Don't be going doing this at home or anything, okay? So, back in ancient Near East times, when you slap somebody with an open hand, that is slapping an equal. When you are slapping someone who is subservient to you, you don't slap them with an open hand, you slap them with the back, uh, the back of your hand. So what Jesus is saying here, the people who want to lord their power over you, the people who want to put themselves above you, and make sure they put you in their place by slapping you with the back of their hand. Not only take another slap, but here's the best part. Refuse the hierarchy. Basically say, if you want to hit me, you hit me as an equal. You don't hit me as your slave. You turn turn the other cheek. So not only is Jesus calling you for more, beyond what is expected even by law. But Jesus is calling this subtle challenge to hierarchy. If someone wants to sue you and take your coat, 
give up your shirt. So over and over again, Jesus is saying, go beyond, go above, beyond even what is legal and socially appropriate. Are you a Jesus follower? Then go beyond. Blow people's minds with what you are willing to do, even what you are willing to endure. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this again was common wisdom. Love your neighbor, that's straight out of the Old Testament law. Now, hate your neighbor or, or hate your enemy, that is not directly from the Old Testament, but there were certainly references how God hated the enemies of Israel. So there was some allusion, and, and it's generally figured that, that um, uh, anthropologists who studied this period of time will say that by now, this was the general consensus. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Isn't that exactly the message that's going on right now in America? Love your neighbor, love the persecuted, love the, those who, are, who might lose protection. Stand up for people, but hate your enemy. Hate the people causing the problems. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I think that's exactly what's going on in America right now. That is the message loud and clear. I have not seen a single person on Facebook saying, love the racists. Love the misogynists. I'm not seeing that anywhere. But that's what Jesus is saying. We have to love, we actually have to love the people we hate. Okay? So love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Here we go. Okay, now, we have heard about who to love, but Jesus turns it around. Here's what he says. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, that is ridiculous. If you're feeling that, that's okay. That is ridiculous. That is stupid. That is opposite every ounce of logic you could ever imagine. And that's Christian. That's Christian. Love your enemies. It's one of Jesus' hardest commands that he taught all throughout Scripture. It's one of the hardest to ever live out. And then here's the amazing thing that he actually connects your ability to love your enemies with whether you are a child of God. Now, I'm making one point. Loving your enemies does not make you a child of God. Believing and obeying Jesus Christ does. But, Jesus is laying it on the line here to say, to say loving your enemies is sort of a measure of your childness of God. Are you really willing to do this? It's really easy to love our families. It's really easy to love victims. Is it easy to love perpetrators? Is it easy to love the people who voted different than you? But that's what God's calling us to do. Now, he gives two examples. Jesus gives two examples how God 
gives love and grace to everybody. Here it is. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, now for us, like, I mean, I like, I like the sun like anybody, and rain's kind of fun to play around with, but to farmers, sun and rain, that was life. And they were genuinely viewed as God's gifts. God's gracious gift to us, to farmers, is sun and rain. So Jesus says, hey, God gives sun and rain to the good and the evil. I think nowadays, if a lot of people had their way, they'd want to like pull the sun away from the people they disagree with. Can, can like, we just pull the sun and the rain away from D.C. for a little while and punish them? Because really, the sun and rain should only be for the good people and the victims, not the bad people. Finally, finally, Jesus describes how God's love goes beyond anything we could imagine with our own human love. Here we go. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And tax collectors were really low, like hated people in society. They were, they were Jewish traders, basically. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Uh, pagans are another word, word back then for non-believer, non non-Christians. Think about that. If you only love the people who agree with you, really, what are you doing? Are you really loving? Doesn't, doesn't even the KKK do that? They love their own man. Doesn't the alt-right, ultra-conservative Republicans do that? All the Breivar readers and all of those guys, they love their own, but they hate their opponents. So really, is that love? Is that what you want to measure yourself by? Even the worst of people I can imagine are, doing, are loving the same way I am. That's pretty depressing. Now, if you love only the people that agree with you, you're not really loving the way Jesus is commanding us to love. So, what do we do with something like this? What do we do with something like this? Because see, I can tell some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are, are feeling, I can see it in your eyes, be like, I cannot love Trump supporters. I am absolutely prepared to unfriend anybody who voted for Trump. Because I don't even want to see their name on my wall. Okay? You, you've heard the rhetoric. We've all heard the rhetoric. Okay? The racist, sexist, misogynist, xenophobic rhetoric that has come out of his mouth. So some of you are saying, I cannot love a person like that or the people that agree with him. Now, others of you are saying, I cannot love liberals. They've legalized the murder of the unborn. They've attacked the sanctity of marriage. I cannot love people who advocate for things like that. Both sides are saying it right now. 
I cannot love the other side. We are living in a more divided America than we ever have, at least in the last 40 years. We might, in case you ever hear someone say we're living in the most divided America we've ever had, you might have forgotten this whole thing called the Civil War. So this is not the most divided, but it sure is in the last 40 years. And because both sides are fighting back, saying no way I can love the other side. And here's the interesting thing, because both sides will actually say, should, doesn't the Bible tell us and command us to fight injustice? Isn't that true? Doesn't the Bible command us to fight injustice? And both sides see the other side as being unjust. So doesn't the Bible command us? Well, here's the, a little bit of a shocker. No, it doesn't. And I, I spent a lot of time this week looking for the direct command in Scripture for us to fight injustice. And you know what? It's not there. But let me give you some of the things that there is a direct command for God's followers to do. Care for the victims of injustice. This is something true throughout the Old and New Testament. It is a consistent theme that we are to protect and care for the poor, the foreigners, the marginalized, the widows, the people without power. That is indisputable scriptural truth. Second, pray for government leaders. Right there in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2. It says it. We're to pray for our government leaders. Direct command. Third, another one is to be subject to government leaders. Be subject to government leaders. Romans 13, it's actually the very next verse from the ones we're studying, we've been studying. We are to be subject to our government leaders. And fourth, what Jesus says, and the, the apostle in the epistles, Paul repeats, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Okay? Now, in case you're really upset with me now because I said the Bible does not directly command us to fight injustice, that's not the entire truth. It is absolutely true. And I would encourage you, if, if one of you finds that the exact verse that directly and explicitly commands us to fight injustice, please let me know, because I clearly missed it. But I will tell you this. The Bible is abundantly clear that God hates injustice. And that He will right injustice. And part of living in the kingdom of God is that His followers help build that kingdom and part of that is to fight injustice. But we need to be very careful. That is an implication of Jesus' teachings. Nowhere in the scripture does it directly command us. And here's where we can get in trouble. When we take something that Jesus directly commands, like love your enemies, and we do something that Jesus and the, the apostles indirectly command, which is fight injustice. When we ignore the direct command to love your enemies, but embrace the indirect command to fight injustice, you know the problem? You end up fighting people, not sin. If you are not willing to love your enemy, but you want to fight injustice, 
All you're going to do is fight people and parties and philosophies and even systems to an extent. Without loving your enemy, you're just going to be fighting people. You love your enemy, then you can fight sin. You can fight sin in individuals. You can fight sin in families. You can fight sin in systems that the United States has developed to subjugate those without power. But otherwise, you're just fighting people. And that's what's happening right now in America. And when I look around, I see people fighting people, not sin. I don't see people fighting evil. They, they, they call it evil, but really what they're saying is they want to fight an evil person. Or maybe an evil president. I sure am praying that President Trump is different than candidate Trump. Um, I, I don't know if he will be, but I sure am hoping. So what are you opposing? Because if you're not willing to love people, love your enemies exactly as Jesus commands us to do, you're just going to fight people. And you're going to hurt people and you're going to hate people. Whereas really what God calls his followers to do is to hate evil and hate sin. You can't truly fight injustice until you love your enemies. Otherwise, you're just going to be fighting people, not sin. You can't truly fight injustice. And I want to be a church that fights injustice. I want to be a church that protects the victims and cares for the victims of injustice. But we, collectively as real life, cannot fight injustice until we love our enemies. Because you're just going to be fighting people. And not sin. And that's what's happening right now. We need to love our enemies. Our country needs us to love our enemies. This doesn't mean you agree. This doesn't mean you have to vote for them. But we have to love the people that oppose us. And that we oppose. We've got to be able to do that. Now, I want to close with one of the verses out of Romans, the chapter that we, or the, the section we were going to look at. Is I, want, I want to close with one, one verse here. This is out of Romans 12. It's the, it's the very last verse in Romans 12, and here it is. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The U.S. is being overcome with evil right now. Hatred, fear, vengeance, Anger. The U.S. is being overcome with negative emotion from both sides. This is not just a left against the right. God's answer to overcome evil is not more evil. It's more love. We overcome evil with good. And the way Jesus says that is to say love Join me in prayer. God, we can't do this. This seems ridiculous and stupid and impossible. 
And there are times I can't even imagine loving the angry, the violent, the racist. Some of the things I've seen my own friends post. So God, help us. Help us to love supernaturally. Help us to love with a power that we do not possess. Help us to love in ways that we are incapable of doing. God, your followers, you have created your followers to be a model and a light to the world. Let us hear of your life. Let the churches of the Twin Cities be places of hope, of light, and love. Not just for themselves, but I pray, and not just for, for the victims and the fearful, but even for our enemies, for the perpetrators, the people whose words and actions disgust us. Let us love them as much as we love our own. We cannot do it, Lord, I confess my own inability to this. We need you to help us, Lord. So thank you. God, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the ones who love us, even though we were his enemy. Jesus, thank you for loving us. And I thank you that you love every person here, not for anything that they do, but exactly for who they are, your creation. In your name I pray.